Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. We're grateful that you've given us life and you've given us new life in your Son, something we certainly don't deserve. You took us out of the trap of sin and death and you set us free. You gave us new life through your Spirit and your Word. We're just eternally grateful, Father. Help us never be familiar with where you've taken us from and how you've placed us in union with your Son forever and ever. Father, we also at this point pray for those who are sick and suffering in our local assembly. We ask that you comfort them, heal them, be it your will. Most of all, increase their faith and their understanding of your plan for their lives so they can have peace in the middle of the suffering. You know who they are, Father, and what they're dealing with. You can relate to them, and we ask that you show them that very thing, that your son was tempted in all areas and can understand exactly what they're going through. We thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ, sending him out of heaven to become our substitute once and for all. So whoever trusts in him will never perish, but has eternal life. Please bless this message. Guide us by your spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. And by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Settling in on the big picture, part two. So obviously we have a continuation here from Sunday um, with some special things in there that the Spirit wanted me to share with you, um, which really coincided very nicely, as you'll see. So on Sunday, we were graciously reminded that our Lord never wants us to lose sight of the big picture. In fact, that's a, that's a major harm to us. That's a major disadvantage that we put ourselves into if we lose sight of the big picture. As Jesus was going through the cross and all that led up to it, the big picture was what kept him going. Think about it. As Jesus was going through the cross and all that led up to it, the horrific, unfair treatment, the big picture is what kept him going, what motivated him. And Scripture encourages us to use the Lord as our encouragement as we go through much lesser things compared to his cross. So in other words, why are we doing all of this? Why are we following him? And more importantly, why do we willingly suffer for his namesake? You see, we have an advantage being in the word. We know the light at the end of the tunnel is far better than anything we've ever seen. And that is our hope, the hope of glory. That is our, you know, destiny that we must constantly step back, look at the big picture on, and say, you know, in this grand scheme of things called life, that's where I'm ending up, by the grace of God. So we know, for example, that there's a resurrection from the dead by which we share the eternal victory of Jesus Christ. 
we know the Lord rewards those who follow him and that our suffering in this world is rightly considered like a drop in the ocean. So be encouraged, first of all, as we get into tonight. And what really encourages you, us, is to keep the big picture perspective as much as possible. So turn to Hebrews 6, verse 9 for some encouragement. Hebrews 6, 9. Again, we know the light at the end of the tunnel is way, way better than anything we've ever seen or imagined. We know our destiny in Christ. So that's what gets us through it. Just like that big picture got the Lord through his cross. Hebrews 6, 9. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I mean, picture for a moment this all being over, folks. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I can't wait. Picture for a moment this all being over, whether it's the rapture tonight, whether you want to go fast forward a few years and we're all in heaven. That's what we must cling to and hold on to. Day by day, as it says in verse 12, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There was nothing great about the Old Testament saints. They were sinners like you and I, saved by grace. But the faith and the patience is what led them to the promises. All they did was wait it out, in other words. Not in stubbornness, not in, um, you know, lack of faith, but in faith. So today, let's step back again and see the big picture. Where has the Spirit been taking us? And think about why the following subjects have been covered for us on the board. For example, in the last two months curriculum, why have we studied these topics? Why the apostles are so encouraging? With God, all things are possible. When subjectivity becomes the culturally accepted norm. American dating as a counterfeit. And then the Spirit had us review the India mission lessons, which at, time, at the time didn't seem like it was you know, necessarily meant for us, but God brought that out, that it really was, and peace and stability from honoring God's authority came from that. So when we step back and keep the big picture in mind, it results in the freedom the Spirit wants us to have. He wants us to experience freedom every single day of our lives. But that won't happen if we don't step back and keep His grand scheme in mind. Why are we doing this? On the board, Big Picture Freedom came up on Sunday. Seeing the forest through the trees is critical to understanding the very mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 
our Lord himself sees a much bigger picture than we ever could, as in Romans 11.33. Yet it behooves us to seek his truth, for this is freedom in him. The truth will make you free. Again, seeing the forest through the trees is critical to understanding the very mind of Christ. We're going to get to that at the end of our message, too. If you've ever been walking through a thick forest, you know it's easy to lose sight of the majestic forest that you ventured into. All you see, for example, is one tree in front of you, and then another, and then another. Maybe it's dizzying, but all you see very often is the tree right in front of you, the one you need to walk around so you don't hit it. And all you see is nearsighted, myopic, what's right in front of you. But really, you're in this majestic forest that's beauty is overwhelming. If you could step back and look at the whole thing, if you could rise above it all and have an aerial view of this forest, you'd just be overwhelmed. So we have to consciously do that thing while we're in the forest at times. Step back on a regular basis and see it as a whole. Because in Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And God wants to give us a glimpse of this, of his forest, of his plan as a whole, to encourage us. You know, he'll do certain things for you as a believer at times when you really need it to show you the big picture, to give you a little relief even mentally of why you might be going through something. He has his ways. But we become awe-inspired when we step back and consider what he's doing for his glory, uh, for our eternal blessings, all by grace, of course. When we consider his person, too, which came up on Sunday, his character and his love, we're overwhelmed that he even considers us. But if you don't step back to remember that, that he didn't even have to think of you, for example, that he didn't even have to give you life, that he certainly didn't have to help you believe at the point of salvation. If you lose sight of that, you know, you get myopic, you get frustrated. All you see is the tree right in front of your face that is aggravating you. So we had this very important point, important point also on Sunday. <clears throat> to understand the truth is to understand the person of Christ. To understand the truth is to understand the person of Christ. Not just reciting what the Bible says about him. Not just reciting what the Holy Scripture says about being saved, for example. Anyone can tell you what the Bible says about being saved, but are you saved? Have you accepted it in your heart as truth? Have you accepted him, more importantly, the person, as your Lord and Savior? And related to our emphasis in today's message on the board, to understand the person of Christ is to understand your Heavenly Father. You'll see why this is so important to today's lesson in a moment. To understand the person of Christ is also to understand your Heavenly Father. Go to John 14, verse 8. 
As Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you think you know the person of Christ, you should also know your Heavenly Father in the same way. There should be no confusion or disconnect between those two. Look at John 14, 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it, it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, he said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. There's no difference. What did he say in verse 9? Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Did Philip, Philip ask Jesus to show him himself? Or did Philip ask Jesus to show him the Father? He said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have you not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So this is another part of the big picture that we're to settle in on here. The more you step back and view the big picture, the more you'll understand God's will for your life. And with that understanding which is only available to true believers who have humbled themselves before the Lord, you'll then be granted freedom by grace. Go to John 10, 27. John 10, 27. So again, the point on the board, first of all, to understand the person of Christ is to understand your heavenly Father. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. On the board, we saw this on Sunday. Excuse me, as I'm a little out of order. I and the Father are one. This not only means that Jesus Christ is God, it also implies that his mind is intrinsically the same as the mind of his Father. Intrinsically the same as the mind of his Father. What the Father wants, the Son wants. What he plans, the Son executes, and the Spirit empowers. Such is unity. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you know he would only do what's best for you in the big picture, then you also know your Heavenly Father would only do what's best for you in the big picture. If you can relate to Jesus better, which I think we all can, I know I can, because he was one of us, he became a man, he walked the earth, he went through what we go through and was tempted in every area, yet without sin. So if you feel you can trust Jesus, the man that he was, then you can trust the Father the exact same way. But we don't tend to do that because we haven't seen the Father. Or have we, Philip? So if you trust Jesus that he would do the best thing for you, you must trust that the Father would do the best thing for you. And it's this kind of knowing God that will carry you through anything in this life by faith. 
when you know Jesus and therefore God in this way, you trust he is allowing all things in your life for good, ultimately, even your sicknesses and even your pains. We saw this on Sunday also, which was part of our review. True conviction passes through real discomfort. True conviction, knowing Jesus, passes through real discomfort. Romans 5, 3 through 5, we saw on Sunday. James 1, 2 through 4, we saw on Sunday. James 5, 11, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. We're quite familiar with these passages over the last few years. We've gone to them many times. We know Paul says that we should have joy as we persist and see what God is doing in us through suffering, of all things. We should have joy through suffering. Tonight, the Spirit is bringing in a bit of a sidebar, but it's not really. In fact, it coincides with the three points we've already reviewed from Sunday's message. And I think the Spirit wants to encourage those of you who have been suffering lately, as we know, um, <laughs> if you look at the percentage of our church members, it's a very high percentage, that are in some serious situations of suffering. We're not, you know, it's amazing, right? It's startling when you know what some of the people are dealing with health-wise, etc. So let this encourage you. Let this remind you of his perspective on things, which is big picture, which is trusting the Lord no matter what he asks you to bear, why? How can you do that? Because you know him, and you know in your heart he has a very good reason for it. Because you know him. You know Jesus. You know he didn't do anything for nothing, even as he walked this earth. So our dad in heaven gave me a small glimpse of what some of you have been going through on a daily basis. The pain in my wrist one night was so bad I couldn't sleep and I was tossing and turning for hours before I finally got up at 4 a.m. And he decided to use that pain for you to help me relate to some of you with chronic pain, even just a little bit. I know some of you are crying for me right now, but please don't. I'm okay. <laughs> but he helped me relate just a little bit. He gave me a glimpse of what I know some of you battle um, every day in some form. And so that I could also explain this thing that he had put on my heart the day before this happened. So it's funny how he works. He works obviously in mysterious ways and it's different every time, I think. But he had me get up at 4 a.m. eager to write this down for you all. So bear with me as I try to explain this. I'm sure the Spirit is going to help get the point across this evening. But this is another issue of big picture perspective that can set us free. Okay, so open your heart, open your mind right now. Ask what the Spirit wants to show you. This is another issue of big picture perspective that can set us free. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1. And we're actually going to read through the whole chapter. Um, think of it like looking at the forest instead of just one or two trees in front of your face. 
You get the whole picture of here what's going on in Hebrews 12. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There's big picture thinking, by the way. That's what kept Jesus going. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now pay attention. Now the Lord gets into the value and goodness of discipline. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. See, it's tempting to faint. It's tempting to give up. It's tempting to blame God even. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them, shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? In other words, if you can look back and see why your earthly parents disciplined you at times and appreciate that now, can you look at the big picture and appreciate God's disciplining you even in the moment, even during the pain? Can you step back and look at the big picture and appreciate your Heavenly Father's discipline for you. And this includes any form of pain and suffering you might be going through right now in the middle of it. Verse 10. For they, the earthly, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, if you accept this truth from your loving Father in heaven, which is the same as accepting it from Jesus Christ himself, remember, since they are one, then look at verse 12. If you're going to accept this discipline as good, verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In other words, make up your mind to stay on the straight and narrow path, the way of life. Trust Him for strength and healing. Verse 14, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness 
springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. At this point, think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul said, His grace is sufficient. Or, will you say that, or will you become bitter against your Heavenly Father and even Jesus Himself? And spread that bitterness to other people even. Again, verse 15. This is all in the context of discipline when we go back to the beginning of the chapter. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. This was a reference to Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, where people or animals couldn't even touch God's mountain, or they would die. But you have not come to a mountain like that. It says here, verse 19, And to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. But you, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. In other words, you, child of God, adopted one in Christ, who receives painful discipline from his loving father at times, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Again, verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. In context, we're talking about accepting your father's discipline in your life and respecting God as your father no matter what he feels is best for you. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven? And his voice shook the earth then But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, verse 28, Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude even for his painful discipline at times. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. 
on the board. Embracing suffering. Our Father's loving discipline is painful, but it's also good. Be thankful with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If you give respect to your earthly father for the discipline he did what was best for you at the time, how much more should you give respect to your heavenly father? It shouldn't be questioned. He shouldn't be questioned. Again, embracing suffering. Our father's loving discipline is painful and good. Be thankful with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If you are saved, a child of God through Christ Jesus, then you are eligible for the blessing of his loving discipline. Eligible for the blessing of his loving discipline. There isn't one child a loving father doesn't discipline. And as it said in verses 7 and 8, you should be worried if you're not being disciplined because you probably aren't a child. You're probably not even saved. But you are eligible for loving discipline from your good father, your perfect father in heaven. And as hard and as painful as it might be, it is truly good. And don't be like the child that says, but he gets to do it. Why don't I get to do that thing, right? I was thinking about this earlier and how when you're, when you're a child, you always do that, right? Let's say your cousins, you're playing with your cousins, and your uncle or aunt lets, lets them do it, but your father said, no, you can't do it. Well, that's not fair. Well, maybe their parent doesn't love them too much. I don't know. But your parent loves you. That's the only reason they told you you can't do it. You don't understand that at the time, maybe. But do you trust them? And if you can possibly trust any earthly parent who's imperfect, how can we not trust our Heavenly Father, who's absolutely perfect? So because you're a child of God, a child of one that actually cares about you to the maximum and even protects you from yourself, by the way. Don't forget that. How much of discipline is protecting you from yourself and what you were about to do to yourself? More than we know. Way more than we know. How does God do that? How does God protect us even from ourselves? With suffering with painful discipline. Do you want to be of the world or do you want to be of God? Do you want to be a spoiled brat in the world who's, who's lost and is uncared for? Or do you want to be a child of God who gets reprimanded and disciplined at times so that you can have all things in the end? It's perspective that the Spirit's trying to bring us to tonight. Embracing suffering. Embracing suffering. Though very difficult at times, we must understand the Father's discipline upon us is not judgment, but it's from a good, good Father training up His child. And therefore, at times, that requires His refining fire. Listen, pain is real, right? I mean, there's no way around the fact that something is painful, whether it's physical mental, emotional, uh, pain is painful. But there's a pure, a purification that happens in his refining fire that only comes through pain. 
and we're so stubborn at times, God knows we need some fire to get our attention. And ultimately, in the big picture, to refine us is to bring us to the image of Christ. How else are we going to get to the image of Christ before we die? How else are we going to bring God glory in this life before we die? The perspective he wants us to see tonight is that his refining fire comes out of love for us and desiring what is absolutely the best thing for us in the end. In the end. I don't know what he's working out in your souls through suffering. I have a tough enough time figuring out what he's doing and working out my own soul. But he's working things out in us that we have no idea about. And it requires pain. Requires pain. Do you want to be a bastard child of the world, unsaved and uncared for, or do you want to be a child of God who is being prepared for the best, is even being prepared to rule with him? for all eternity. On the board again, embracing suffering. Think when you look at that word embracing, I mean, I think of hugging something, someone. That that is the perspective God wants us to have towards suffering. It's good, it's truly good. Yes, it hurts. It's truly good. It has an amazing effect and purpose in your life that when you see the fruit of it, you will be over-the-top thankful. Embracing suffering. He wants us to see and believe in the moments of pain that his discipline, though painful, is loving and good. Change your perspective. He wants us to see and believe in the moments of pain, not later. Not after when you can look back and say, oh, now I see why I did that. Anyone can do that, right? That doesn't take faith. What takes faith is to believe it, that it's good when you're in the moment, when you're going through the pain. His discipline, though though painful, is loving and good. So change your perspective. Embrace suffering. It's for your own benefit. So knows our perfect God and Father. It's for your own benefit. If the good result of the training we receive is to be molded into the image of Christ, then that's going to require us to carry our cross, isn't it? If Jesus, the perfect one, had to carry his cross to accomplish the plan of God, how much more do we need to carry our cross so that he can refine us into the image of Christ? As we know from our Lord, the cross asked of, asked of us by our Father could be extremely painful. But it can be extremely good in the end. Just look at the immeasurable good results from His cross. So we need to change our perspective again. We need to accept the Father's discipline even with gratitude, because he knows all things. That's it, end of story. He knows all things. He truly knows what's best for you. So we need to accept the Father's discipline, even with gratitude, because he knows all things. And he knows how to make us like Christ. It's all for our own good. Let me give you an earthly example that we can all relate to. 
sit back, relax. Everyone's really tense. I see all the pain in your shoulders from this topic. I don't know. Let me give you an earthly example that we can all relate to and that we all value to some degree, which is money. In a way, I hate to use this example, but we all can relate to money. If the Lord himself came down from heaven and said to you, Son, daughter, I have something difficult for you to go through. Very difficult. There will be pain involved. Physical, mental, emotional. And I can't tell you right now how long I need you to endure it. Though I can tell you it's only temporary. And that's the big picture key, by the way, for each of us, enduring our pain by faith. I can't tell you right now how long I need you to endure it though I can tell you it's only temporary. But here's the agreement. I will give you great wealth as a reward for your willingness to bear what I ask of you. I will give you $10 million tax-free at the appropriate time. Do we have a deal? Do we have a deal? I'd say yes. (laughs) Call me, call me evil, call me whatever. Yeah, right. I'm I'm sure most of you would agree. Your Lord tells you it's temporary, and that's the reward at the end. It's a fair deal. It's more than a fair deal. You'll get to celebrate later and party later. So if we're honest, most of us might go with that deal. Remember, this is just an illustration. But you might say back, you mean, Lord, that this is temporary, and when it ends, you'll totally bless me out like that? And by the way, you trust him, right? I mean, he's the Lord. Now consider the value of eternal things. Consider Holy Scripture says heaven's streets are paved with gold. Consider the word says the Lord will make you rich forever in heaven as a result of enduring suffering for his namesake. Even though we can't picture it right now, do you agree that the riches in heaven will be greater and more enjoyable than $10 million on earth. Do you agree God has the ability and the love to bless your socks off, even in ways that you can't imagine right now? Possibly on earth, certainly in heaven. And when this is is all over and you're in heaven, he can bless you in such a dramatic way, such a dramatic, stunning way, that you'll actually be thankful for the discipline he gave you on earth. Do you believe that? The question is, will you step back and look at the big picture and therefore be thankful while suffering in the moment on earth? Seeing the beautiful ending by faith. Will you do that? Are you willing to do that thing? Are you willing to see it God's way from God's perspective? So here's the point of the Spirit's rant here. The big picture. Discipline needs to be painful to be effective. And every bit of it is from the source of His love. So be thankful, even while in the moment of pain. Big picture. Step back. Why is He asking you to go through what you're going through right now? Why? You know it's for a darn good reason, right? You may not know the exact reason, but you do know the general reason. 
And for it to work, it has to be painful to be effective. Discipline needs to be painful to be effective, and every bit of it is from the source of his love. So be thankful, even while in the moment of pain. This is obviously counterintuitive. Our flesh says that makes no sense. You want me to be thankful while I'm in pain? But God's ways are not our ways, right? We need to think of our new man. We are a new man. We are a new creature. We have the spirit of Christ in us. We need to go through the refiner's fire, which he assigns us out of his love, because the results are immeasurable good for God's kingdom. So go to 1 Peter 4, verse 12, and let's revisit about the refiner's fire, which comes from the perfect wisdom of our holy God, the perfect wisdom of our heavenly Father. You know when you were a child that unless you experienced pain, you didn't listen, right? You needed a good spanking. You needed a good discipline. You needed something taken away from you. You know without that, you didn't listen. If that's true about you as as a child, how much more true is that with us as God's children? 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You might want to tattoo that on your forehead. Verse 19. Again, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So when God asks you to endure painful situations. Stop thinking that it's him hating on you. That's the flesh tempting you to think that. Stop thinking that it's him hating on you. On the board, the big picture, even if you deserve it because of your bad decisions, your Lord disciplines you out of love. Change your perspective. Painful discipline is a very good thing from a very good father. He knows this is the only way he's going to get your attention. He knows this is the only way he's going to truly humble you and conform you to the image of Christ. Again, on the board, even if you deserve it because of your bad decisions, your Lord disciplines you out of love. Change your perspective. Painful discipline is a very good thing 
from a very good father. This sounds nuts to the world, but it's as true as anything else in the Word of God. Painful discipline is a very good thing from a very good father. We have to trust and believe he wants what's truly best for us. And I know most of you do. If you do that thing, if you live in the moment in that way, the results are going to be off the charts, both in this life and the next. He's like, live for me while you have the chance. Be thankful for the discipline and the pain while you have the privilege, while you're eligible to suffer for my name. It's opposite the ways of the world, who always sees prosperity alone as good. But that's the world. So pick up your cross and carry it as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's our Lord of lords, our King of kings. He possesses all the earth, and in the end, he wins. And because of that, we win. And he gives us a share of his kingdom. Let me repeat that. He gives us a share of his kingdom. How can he use you the way he wants to use you if you're not prepared? How can you rule cities if you're not trained? You're going to have to have a little bit of a lesser position in the kingdom if you don't have the awareness and the understanding of how Jesus thinks. How do we get there? Pain. We don't want to hear it, but that's the truth. I mean, imagine the Lord in the deal, the example I gave you earlier. Imagine the Lord said that in the end, after your trial, he'll make you the mayor of your favorite city in the world. Right now, think of your favorite city in the whole world. I will plant you in that seat. You'll be the mayor of that city for all eternity. And that's part of us ruling with him. As on the board in Luke 19, 17, he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. Some of you are saying, my pain is not a very little thing. I know, it doesn't seem like that right now. But again, compared to eternity and God's blessings, it is literally a drop in the ocean. So have God's perspective on it. Again, on the board, embracing suffering. Pain in this life is good. Believe that. Look at the big picture and accept your calling. And rejoice and be set free by accepting his discipline on your life. He is good. Embrace suffering. Pain in this life is good. Believe that. Look at the big picture and accept your calling. And rejoice and be set free. What do we start with? Big picture freedom. When you step back and really look at the big picture, you're set free from the circumstances or whatever it is you have to go through. Look at the big picture and accept your calling and rejoice and be set free by accepting his discipline on your life. Accept it. He's good. Right now, it's the best thing for you. And as the Spirit's told us several times in the past, gratitude is key. On the board, stop for a minute right now and think about the power of gratitude. 
Think about the power of gratitude. When you decide to have it, it can truly set you free from any situation. Right? Haven't we all experienced this? When you stop the complaining or whatever and, and you actually give thanks for something that you don't really like or isn't comfortable, doesn't it set you free? Gratitude has tremendous power in our spiritual lives, and that's why the Bible talks about it so much, as in 1 Thessalonians 16 through 18. When you might be curled up on your bed in pain, cry out to the Lord with thanksgiving. Not with why me. Cry out to the Lord with thanksgiving. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this. I know I need this. Thank you. Try it. Tell me it won't set you free. It's between you and him. Say, thank you, Lord. I know you have good in store for me. I know this is good, even though it's painful. I need this. I know I need this. You know all things. I trust you. Thank you for the privilege of accepting that your grace is sufficient for me. Bring yourself glory with my life in front of the angels. Big picture. Step back. Why is he asking you to go through what you're going through? On the board in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 again. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Even for things like painful discipline. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable sacrifice with reverence and awe. Giving gratitude, giving thanks is an acceptable sacrifice to God. With reverence and awe even. Our God is a consuming fire. He's perfect. He's holy. Who are we that we have the privilege of giving thanks for the pain that he knows is best for us? And think about this for a moment too. Not only does gratitude set you free, but gratitude brings peace and happiness to both parties involved. Giving thanks brings peace and happiness to both parties involved. The person being thankful can, can be at rest now because they've accepted it. And the one receiving the thanks is also happy. How happy is a father when he hears from his son, thanks, Dad, even for your discipline. I know you loved me and it was for my own good. How happy is that father? Can't even describe it in this world. And Holy Scripture tells us that gratitude will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our own lives. Hebrews 12, 11 in the NIV, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Again, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Can you put a price on that right there? Can you put a price on attaining true peace and truly living in His righteousness? in front of both men and angels. So look at God's discipline 
as a wonderful, loving, good thing from your Heavenly Father. That's the challenge this evening from the Spirit. Look at God's discipline as a wonderful, loving, good thing from your Heavenly Father, a thing that we all need to be refined, to be made holy, even while in the devil's world, something only God could accomplish. So let's close with our main points from Sunday. How do these relate? Big picture freedom. Seeing the forest through the trees is critical to understanding the very mind of Christ. Our Lord himself sees a much bigger picture than we ever could, yet it behooves us to seek his truth, for this is freedom in him. Big picture thinking is able to see the forest through the trees. When you look at your suffering and complain and even blame God, you're only looking at the trees, folks. You're only looking at the trees. You're missing out on the big picture. Step back and see the beautiful overall picture he's painting with your life. Imagine what it's going to be like. Imagine bringing glory in front of the angels that God used you to do so. You have to imagine that. Why did God give us an imagination? So that we can hope. So that we can believe what's in the word of God. So we can believe things we haven't seen yet. When you look at your suffering and complain and even blame God, you're only looking at the trees. Look at the whole picture. When Paul asked the Lord three times to take away his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, he was only looking at the trees. This thorn right here that I see right in front of my face is painful, Lord. Please take it away. And then he stepped back. And he remembered God's grace is sufficient. He saw the big picture. He saw the whole forest. And Paul was then thankful. Totally changed his perspective. On the board again, true conviction passes through real discomfort. When you know the Lord and you know his person and you know his goodness, the conviction of that, the conviction of who he is, helps you pass through any real discomfort, any real pain even. If you believe God is good and there is a plan for you to bring him glory, that conviction will get you through anything he asks you to bear. See the finished product with eyes of faith and hope. See the forest. What results? The perseverance that the Lord will reward you with, the hope that he rewards you with. See that in advance. And the big picture, he's going to get to use your perseverance and suffering as evidence against Satan and the fallen angels. Who are you that you have the privilege to be called to the witness stand for God? Like Job was, for example. And God says, I'm going to reward you beyond your wildest dreams. Will you have faith now? Will you thank me now and trust me for the pain? On the board, embracing suffering. Trust in your Heavenly Father no matter what. He has the heart of Jesus. And if you're a true believer, you know Jesus. And Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you every single step of the way. 
So again, trust in your Heavenly Father no matter what. He has the heart of Jesus. And if you're a true believer, you know Jesus. Go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, as we close. Paul attained victory from his suffering and pain because he embraced his suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Might we say he was thankful? Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Freedom comes in seeing the big picture, folks. Freedom comes by accepting and embracing the suffering and the pain that he asks you to bear. By actually being thankful in the moment, which is a supernatural thing. And if you can't do it, just ask him for more faith. Ask him for more hope. And obey the word of God. And be thankful. Amen? Let's close. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your amazing grace toward us and the lessons you provide us by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you help us change our perspective, Father. Help us get out of the flesh. Help us look through the eyes of the new man with the help of your spirit and your word. Father, help us to stop trying to be like the world and copy the world and fit into the world. Help us to step out by faith as a soldier of Christ. Help us to look at things as a child of God, whom you love so much, you're willing to painfully discipline for goodness and for your glory. We thank you in advance, Father, for all that you do for us and all that you provide for us, even the strength to go through it all. We ask that you bless us as we go, Father, and bring out the good news to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>